Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Journey of Faith. I'm Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I want to say hi to everybody at our Torrance campus right now. We're connected uh, live right now. I also want to say hi to everybody that couldn't make it in person to one of our campuses for any reason you're watching us online. Thanks for joining us. Let me just kind of pray as we get started for this part of the message and this new series we're going into. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together. Would you give us a a concentrated time of focusing on you and focusing on some important things that you've said in your Bible that can give us wisdom, not only how to be aimed at you, but also how we can relate to each other. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, today we're starting a new series of messages that I have really been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, It's based on the idea that when Jesus finished his time here on earth, he said he would come back one day. And when he returns, it would kind of wrap up history as we know it and kind of usher us into a, a new season of life and relationship with God. The challenge is he didn't say when that was going to happen, but he did say you'll know it's coming because there will be things like wars and catastrophes and confusing religious teaching. Uh, So the question is, that sounds a lot like right now. So are we living in the end times? Is Jesus coming back at any moment? And if so, how should we be living? The study in Christian theology of the end times is uh, technically called eschatology. It comes from a Greek word, eschaton, which means the last things. And there's actually three big areas of the Bible that focus on the end of the world and Jesus' return. One of those places is uh, there's a Hebrew prophet by the name of Daniel, and Daniel has a dream, and it's recorded in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and he has a dream about kingdoms rising and falling throughout history. Another place, Matthew chapter 24, records Jesus' teachings about what the world would be like uh, during an intense time of suffering, and then him returning in order to judge the world. And then uh, the third one, the book of Revelation, a very popular and, and, and oftentimes very confusing book of the Bible, is actually an apocalyptic vision that one of Jesus' disciples named John had, and it was actually written in the first century to be an encouragement to Christians who were struggling uh, with persecution in the first century. Uh, We're not going to look at any of these. Uh, I mean, we will, we'll, we'll touch on them a little bit as we go through, but we're going to focus our attention on these two short letters in the New Testament, First and Second Thessalonians. First and Second Thessalonians were letters written by Paul, one of Christianity's first missionaries, and they were written to a group of people that were having what we could call end times anxiety. They were like, When's, is Jesus returning? Did he already return? Did we miss it? Uh, how do we interpret these political leaders that are popping up? Is this the end of the world? What do we do now? And they were kind of wrapped up in, in, in all those ups and downs. Uh, and Paul is writing them to give them some clarity and some encouragement about how to live in what they were perceiving was the end times. 
and they kind of had this tension between should we be ramped up and, and, and kind of excited and, and, and kind of watching around, or should we just stick with working and raising our families and just stay focused? It's that tension that they're trying to manage. And I was actually thinking about that tension that I manage in my own life between should I be excited and kind of aware and stuff, or should I just kind of be calm and focused? And it reminded me of when I was growing up, uh, my mom had this uh, tradition in our house that she would let my, my brother and I, when we were going to bed, we could watch one half-hour TV show, and she would give us what she called snacks. And it, she would give us this three-ounce Dixie cup, not actual size, it was actually really small, a three-ounce Dixie cup full of munchies while we watched TV. Now, here's the catch. The munchies she gave us was candy. So she gave us M&Ms and Smarties and jelly beans. And, and here was my mom's idea. For some reason, she thought it was a good idea as her five- and seven-year-old son were winding down, getting ready to go to bed, that she would give us three ounces of sugar. And you can imagine the response that we had. It's like, okay, time to quiet down and go to bed. And we were like, boom, we were bouncing off the ceiling. Maybe she was timing the sugar crash that we would have. I'm not sure. That's what I do with my kids. Um, but we had that tension between those two. I think we live in a culture right now where we have that, we're, there's a lot of talk about the end of the world. There's a lot of talk about the end times and being ready. I moved into a neighborhood uh, a few years back, and there's four preppers in my neighborhood. And they've, they came up, one of them came up and talked to me and said, hey, we've got food supplies, we've got water, we've got all the things that we need in the case of emergency. If you want to get out on this, let us know. And I was like, well, I don't think that's necessary. Then COVID hit, and they weren't running around buying toilet paper. I mean, they like, they were prepped and they were ready. And I thought, you know, there is something to living in earthquake country and going through a pandemic that we should all probably be more prepared for emergencies. But what kind of spiritual preparation should we have given that Jesus said he was coming back and what the world would look like when he came back? We're going to talk about one of the best ways that we can prepare for that. And here's our main idea for today. The best way to face the future is to let God influence our motivation. Now, some of you might say, motivation? I, uh, sorry, I thought we were talking about the end times. Motivation might be kind of an odd topic to talk about, but it's actually how Paul begins his letter writing to people who were dealing with end times anxiety. So if you have a Bible, either a physical one or one on your phone, I want to invite you to turn to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, if you're new to the Bible, don't worry. I'm going to have everything you need here up on the screen. But here's something I want to invite you to do over the next five weeks. I want to invite you to read 1 and 2 Thessalonians on your own all the way through in one sitting. It'll take you about 10 minutes. 
And read them like you'd read a letter. That's what they are. They're structured like a letter, and it'll make sense, and it'll just give you a big overview. Maybe you want to read it more than once over the next five weeks. And then each week, we're going to touch on a topic or a subject that Paul is addressing in these letters and kind of pull some things out for us to focus on. Today, we're going to be talking about motivation. At the end of the service, we're going to allow some space to reflect a little bit on what we're talking about. But let's, let's dive right into the first part of this letter. Here's how it starts. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And we're writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. So kind of a standard letter that you would write in the first century. It's written by Paul And then he had these two ministry partners, Silas and Timothy, and they're writing to Christians living in a place called Thessalonica. Let me show you a little map of the ancient world. This is Italy over here. This is Greece. You'll recognize some some names from the New Testament. If you've read books from the New Testament, Paul made his way to those different places. And here's Thessalonica here. If you were to visit Thessalonica today, you'd see it to be a, a, a booming city with a big population, a lot of people, very metropolitan area. Here's what it would have looked like in Paul's day. We believe Paul spoke from this amphitheater, and these are some of the uh, interiors of what it would have looked like in that day. But this is a real place with real people living in it. My friend Kevin, who's a coin collector, let me borrow this. This is a, uh, a coin minted in Thessalonica back in the 500s. Um, So we're reading this incredible historical letter that's talking about kind of end times anxiety that people had in that day. Let's keep reading. Paul says, we always thank God for all of you and we pray for you constantly. And as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope that you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this little introduction, we actually get a little piece of what we're going to be talking about for five weeks, but it does start here by addressing some of the motivations of the people living in Thessalonica. Three things in particular. He says, first, we're so thankful for your faithful work. The Thessalonians weren't lazy people. They were hardworking people. But what motivated them was not money, greed, or competition, or their identity. Oh, I have to do this job because then I'll be seen as this person. What motivated them was their faith. They saw work as a natural extension of what it means to be a person of faith. It was a spiritual motivation. Here's the second thing. They saw your, the Thessalonians loving deeds. They cared about people. They loved people. And where did it come from? Their love for people didn't come from wanting to be liked wanting to be perceived as a good person, feeling pity on people. No, they were motivated by love. They knew God loved them, and they were like, well, God loves me. I should love other people. And then one more thing, enduring hope. They had endurance. What that means, they had a resilience, kind of a a stick-to-itness, right? And where did that come from? It didn't come from... I'm sticking with this because I can't fail or that would be disastrous. 
They weren't sticking to it because they were, I'm going to prove to people that I never give up. No, it wasn't that. Their endurance was motivated by hope. What that means is they were like, you know what? Times are tough. I'm going to stick in there because Jesus is with me and Jesus is going to come back and make things right so I can have hope. They, they were doing this already. When you read Thessalonians on your own, you're going to see throughout this letter, Paul is like, hey, you're doing it. Keep it up. Unlike some other letters in the New Testament where Paul's like, you need to change this. You need to fix this. This is actually a really positive, encouraging thing. You're doing the right thing. Keep going. And as a result, the people living in Thessalonica, they had a reputation, a good reputation. Here's what he says next. Wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. They keep talking about how you turned away from idols to serve the living and the true God. People are like, you know those Thessalonians? They used to worship other things. Now they're worshiping God. They used to let unhealthy things motivate them. Now they're being motivated by God. Now in their culture, it was physical stone idols. In our culture, we still do have some people that worship and kind of honor and recognize physical uh, expressions of God. But Our idols in the South Bay are different. An idol is anything in your life that is above God. Here's a list of a few things I thought of. Identity. Sometimes we say, I am this, I am this, I am this, rather than saying, first, I'm made in the image of God and I'm loved by God. Some of us put money and possessions ahead of our spiritual life or attention or influence Some of us, we put physical pleasure in front of our relationship with God. We'll talk about that in a a few weeks when we talk about sexuality. Um, Some of us put our appearance. If we don't look good, then that throws us off spiritually. Um, And then sometimes our personal feelings. If we're feeling something strongly, we have to do something with it. And sometimes that takes the priority over our spiritual life. Are there any things in your life that are above your relationship with God? Is there any idol that you need to say, maybe I need to shift by being, from being motivated from this to being motivated by God? Paul, as he's helping the Thessalonians and kind of celebrating the great changes they made, then he turns the table back on himself, and he said, I'm going to look at my own motivations, and he says this, you can see that we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. He says our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. We'll go back to that in a minute. And he says, never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. That's a very interesting statement. Hey, we didn't try to, as you know, I didn't try to win you with flattery. That was clear. I guess Paul wasn't flattering anybody. Um, And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we've never sought it from you or anyone else. The best way 
that we can face the future is by letting God influence our motivation. How? Here's the first step. Check your heart for unhealthy motives. In Paul's day, there were people teaching and talking about the end times and the return of Jesus, and they were doing it for profit. They were going around, raising money, getting followers, starting movements, and they were basically saying whatever the hottest thing was. And they were kind of stirring people up. And they were collecting followers and collecting money And one of the tactics that they used was fear. They would say things that would get people unsettled and fearful and get them all riled up. And you know, things haven't changed too much, have they? Publishers and pundits and preachers sometimes are fear brokers. Fear is a terrible motivator. There are healthy forms of fear, Understanding your own motives, checking yourself, recognizing that God is the judge of our hearts, doing right, doing justice by people. All of those things are very, very important. But when you look at the lives of early Christianity, Christians not only were not residing in fear, the coming of Jesus was something they were looking for uh, with hope, but they also didn't pass fear on to other people. I'm, I'm not an expert in early Christianity, but when I look at some of the early sermons in Christianity, a lot of it is we're looking forward to the coming of Jesus. We should prepare ourselves for that day. And it's inviting people to be a part of that. It's not, watch out, Antichrist is coming. There's going to be some tribulation. We've got to look out for this. There's going to be a one-world government. Check out all of our coinage, things like that. It wasn't all of that anxiety. It was God loves everyone, and there is forgiveness. Come be a part of that, because at the end of the day, God will evaluate us all. That's the invitation that we need to be sharing with others, and we need to kind of check ourselves. What's motivating us? We all love to say, hey, I'm motivated by love and peace and and faith and hope, but sometimes we're motivated by popularity or by anger or by resentment. Here's an action step for you. Thank God for one of your healthy motivations and give one unhealthy motivation to God. Think about some healthy motivations. Maybe you're helping somebody to succeed because you care about them and you want them to succeed. Maybe you're putting up boundaries in a relationship because there's some unhealthiness on both sides, and you want to create an environment where it could be healthier. Maybe you're scheduling that doctor's appointment or that counselor's appointment because you want to get well. Those are wonderful, healthy motivations. Say, God, thank you so much. I have a clear conscience about that. But are there some other areas of your life where you might be unhealthy? Maybe you're not talking to that person because you're avoiding them and you're avoiding discomfort. Maybe You're not scheduling that doctor's appointment or that counseling appointment because you already know what they're going to say and you don't like it. Maybe you're posting stuff on social media because you want to impress people or you want to pick fights with people. Maybe you're dating that person 
not because that's the right person to be with, but because you're afraid of being alone. We always need to be checking our motives. And if, if we're not checking it, God will step in and kind of give us a little reminder. I remember uh, when I was in high school, I was involved in, in drama and debate. So I was always on a platform in high school. So I would do plays, and I knew how to communicate in a way to draw people in and to keep them and to raise emotions and lower emotions. And I knew how to carry an audience. And those of you that are used to being on platforms or stages, you know kind of the exhilaration and the thrill that comes from being in front of a lot of people. And if I wasn't doing drama, I was doing debate. And debate is when I would get up and I would just talk somebody into a corner. And I knew how to win, and that was my goal, to win debates. Then I became a follower of Jesus. And I remember the first time somebody let me share a message like this, and I got up in front and... I was, I was firing all cylinders. I, I had these emotional ups and downs, and I was working the crowd, and it was so great. And then there were a couple of points I was making, and I was arguing in a way where nobody could argue back. I, mean, I was cutting off arguments and anticipating stuff and stuff. I sat back down, and I was like, dang, that was good. And at that moment, I felt like God was whispering into my heart, Jason, I love you. And we need to work on this. This is not about showing off, and this is not about winning. Now, when we look at our motivations, can we be sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're operating from the right place? I don't think so. I don't think so. Paul didn't think so either. In fact, there, we have another letter in the New Testament where Paul is kind of checking his motives and he says this, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. He said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove that I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So he's like, look, the best I can do, check myself, follow God, and then I'll know when Jesus comes, when Jesus arrives, he'll be able to examine me and he'll be able to judge that. I can, I'll do my best to keep a clear conscience. That first way of just checking for unhealthy motives, that's one of the first ways we can move forward when it comes to letting God influence our motivation. But is there kind of a primary motivation that should drive us? Is there something that we should lead with above everything else? Well, that's what Paul talks about next in this letter. In fact, he gives an example of a primary motivator that, that led him Let's take a look at it. We'll keep reading here. He says, as apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands of you. So Paul says, you know, me and Silas and Timothy, we're called by Jesus to lead you. I certainly am in the right place to tell you what to do. In fact, in the original Greek language this is uh, written in, it literally says, we had the right to throw our weight around. He's saying, I could be a spiritual boss right now, and I could be motivated by power and the need to get you to change. But he continues, and he says this, but instead, we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We treated each of you as a father 
treats his own children. Really, Paul, what, how does a father treat his children? We pleaded with you. We encouraged you. We urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. The motivation that Paul is talking about here is this, gentleness. The best way to move forward into the future, especially in times of end times anxiety, tension, conflict, relational challenges, the best way is to let God influence our motivations. First, checking ourselves for unhealthy motives, and then here's the second thing. Be a model of God's gentleness. Now, it's hard to be a model of God's gentleness if we're not more aware of God's gentleness in our lives. If we can stop and say, gosh, if I can remember how God has dealt gently with me, how would that impact other people? It doesn't mean that we are not truthful. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up and fight. It doesn't mean that we don't stand on our principles and and do what we need to do. But it is an inward motivation of God's gentleness in the same way God has been gently moving and directing our hearts. So here's an action step for you. Imitate God's gentleness in one important relationship this week. What would that look like? Maybe it means just being a little bit more patient with somebody. Maybe it means changing the tone of your voice. Maybe instead of telling someone what to do, you could ask them or you could suggest things. You can bring them into decision-making. And for some of us who are Christians, sometimes when we talk about end times or we talk about politics, we talk about religion, we talk about truth, sometimes we become spiritual bullies you should do this. You need to stop doing this. You need to stop living this way. What would it be like if we let our actions flow from gentleness, the same gentleness that Jesus shows us? Which one relationship in your life, at home, at school, at work, in your friendship circle, It's usually somebody that there's a conflict with, somebody you've been hurt by, somebody who feels like you've hurt them. How could you lean into that gentleness? Let's review what we talked about today. The best way to face the future is to let God influence our motivation. Two ways. Check your heart for unhealthy motives. Be a model of God's gentleness. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close the service, and I want to give you time to do some of that self-checking in yourself. So I'm going to invite our musicians to come out here at Manhattan Beach and over at Torrance. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then I'm going to hand it over to Rachel at Torrance, and we're going to kind of give you an idea of how we're going to have just a little bit of time here to close our service together. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much. For your wonderful gift of love in our life, the love, the faith, the hope that you provide. God, as, um, as we spend a little bit of time reflecting on your role in our life, um, help us to do 
begin doing some of that work that we need to do so we can face the future now as well as whatever will come ahead. Help us to, to face that coming from the right place. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a song, and there's going to be two breaks in the song where it's just instrumental, and we're going to have a couple of prompts on the screen, a couple of things to think about and reflect on. So as you're listening to this song, kind of let it soak in, and then when those questions come up, kind of do some work just between you and God. And at the end of the song, we'll be inviting you all to stand, we'll close in singing, and then we'll wrap up our time together and I'll close us in prayer. So let's get started and let's have a little reflection time together. Thanks.
Thanks for being here today. You know, this week as you go out, would you be very aware of God's gentleness in your life? And would you allow that to flow into being gentle with others? But what happens when we hit those conflicts? What happens when those challenges come? That's what we're going to be talking about next week. So make sure you come back and we're going to pick up where we left off in Thessalonians. God bless you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.